0: This reading is taken from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 28, the resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you, as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, uh, thank you to uh, Lydia for reading that great passage to us. Uh, it's really great to see you this evening. If I haven't had a chance to say uh, hello already to you personally this evening, uh, then a very happy new year to you. It's really great to see you as we uh, gather together after the Christmas break Uh, I hope you had plenty of chance over at the Christmas period to uh, wear silly hats that you wouldn't normally wear, um, silly uh, jumpers that you wouldn't usually be seen dead in, uh, and uh, perhaps to play one of those uh, silly party games that you only ever play uh, with people who know you really well uh, at Christmas. I hope you had a really great time, whatever you were uh, up to. Uh, I'm not sure what relaxation over the Christmas period looks like for you. You might be uh, somebody who enjoys the odd TV dvd box set uh, over the christmas period um i'm not sure whether you're a planet earth person we, we could maybe do a survey we won't but it'll tell us quite a lot about the congregation are you a planet earth person are you a sherlock person what would be your box set of choice um i must confess uh, i'm slightly retro uh, my box set of choice would be the west wing uh, any west wing fans here thank you for the applause I'm with brothers and sisters, clearly excellent. All 155 episodes, 130 hours, seven series. Uh, For those of you who don't know the joy of The Rest Wing, let me fill you in. Uh, It's a a series which follows uh, the work and the lives of the president, a fictional US president in a fictional White House. And we follow his team as he works in the Oval Office, Uh, as he uh, goes to the press office with his press secretary, CJ, and he seems to spend an awful amount of time in the White House Situation Room, sat at the end of a table, White House Mission Control, and he asks three questions again and again and again. Takes his place at the end of the table and says, "What's just happened? Can we trust the intelligence? And what's next?'' What's just happened? Can we trust the intelligence? And what comes next? Over the next uh, six or seven weeks, we're going to be looking, as Dan said, uh, at the Great Commission. We're going to be based at the heart of the Bible's mission control room. Uh, And we're going to be taking a closer look at those final words of Jesus at the end of Matthew 28. They're sometimes called the Great Commission. Uh, And we're going to be using some other Bible passages tonight, 1 Corinthians 15, to open up the various words and clauses of that Great Commission. Great Commission control is a great place to start the new year because as a church, and I'm not just talking about St. Andrews here, as a church, we're all about mission It's been said before that mission is the natural habitat of the church. And so the extent to which I'm living mission, I'm praying for mission as an individual and we as a body of the church here, the extent to which we're doing that is the extent to which we're living in our optimal habitat It's partly the reason why we're really excited by Alpha later on this month. It's why we're really excited when we see community groups using our buildings here throughout the week. It's a real privilege on the staff team to see those different groups coming in. It's equally why we're excited when we hear just snippets of stories of individuals at St Andrews who have been having the opportunity to share their faith, whether that's in word or indeed with the people that we're amongst during the week. And so as we base ourselves in mission control over the next few weeks, we're going to be asking those three questions. First of all, what's just happened? That's a question of context. Can we have confidence in the intelligence? That's uh, a question of confidence, funnily enough. Uh, What happens next? A question of consequence. Context, confidence, consequence. Just take a look down, if you would, at at the end of Matthew, uh, chapter 28 and verse 16. And we're going to start off with context. What has just gone on? These are the words that that Matthew uses to bring his gospel to a close. And that's because they summarize in in, in a very real sense everything that's just been going on in his book about Jesus. So this is what we read. The 11 disciples, uh, they're now minus Judas, who has betrayed Jesus. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He's still very much leading the way. He's still very much in charge. The mountain may well have been the mountain that he was transfigured on earlier in Matthew. When they saw him, the disciples, they worshipped him. Totally appropriate and understandable response to God's risen ruler king. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The recent context of Matthew's gospel that comes immediately before these words paints quite a picture. Matthew chapter 1. God has come amongst us, God with us, Emmanuel. We've just remembered that at Christmas. Jesus, fully God, fully man. By Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is authoritatively calling his disciples, people to come and follow him. And they're responding to that authoritative call with obedience. And they're immediately just getting up from wherever they are and following him. Matthew 5 to 7 show us just how authoritative Jesus' teaching is. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, verse 29 says exactly that. What's this? This teaching has such authority to it. And Jesus backs up that teaching with acts of miraculous authority, a whole range of healings and a whole range of miracles. It seems as if Jesus' authority has reached its final challenge when Jesus is challenged about being God's promised king and is sentenced to death. He's predicted his death, and his death becomes reality in Matthew 27. It seems as if his authority, which had been meaning so much to folk, had come to an early and swift end at the age of 33. But death, doesn't have the final say the recent context of Matthew 28 just a few words before those closing words that we've just read see Jesus being raised authoritatively victoriously to life again validating his authority as God's promised saviour and pointing forward to his return as the risen reigning ruler for all eternity. That's what Jesus has been teaching in Matthew 24 and 25, that there will be a day where he returns as God's risen returning ruler, who will judge and who will reign forever. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So as we Turn the corner into the new year as we base ourselves in Mission Control 2017. That's our mission context as well. Our mission here and now, whatever you want to find yourself doing tomorrow, the Alpha Course, the community group that meets week by week, the ongoing thing that you're involved with where you're living out Jesus, takes place between the first coming of Jesus, between his death. And his resurrection it takes place between that and the second coming of Jesus that all of that points to, where Jesus will return to reign and rule. The first context we can see its historical. We can look back to it. It's relatively recent history. It's the context that has happened. We can be confident of the returning reign and rule of Jesus because of that first context which we have seen christ has died christ is risen christ will come again that context is certainly challenging news but it's good challenging news I'm not sure about you, but in, with the people that I've spoken to, the most fruitful discussions that I usually end up having are often those where there might be some chance to present the reality of Jesus' coming, uh, the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection in some way, the reality of Jesus' return, the reality, although it sounds uncomfortable and challenging news, the reality of judgment and Jesus' eternal kingdom, which is to come. I speak to quite a lot of people in university context, students, quite a lot of people in school context, pupils, uh, and for, particularly for young people, actually generation now is where it's at. The idea that there's been an event or a person in the past that could influence the now is way off the radar the idea that actually an event in the past could point forwards to a future coming reality is way out of the picture. So many people live in the now. The, f- the past is something that's to be escaped from. The future's something which is so far off, it's not worth bothering about. And so actually this context is challenging news. But it's challenging good news in a world often of easy bad news. Sometimes we can sound so uncool kind of harking back to what's happened or or pointing ahead to the perhaps distant future. This is challenging good news in a world often of easy bad news. If that's the context of our mission... Then the second question in the mission control room is one of confidence. So often Jed Bartlett, the US fictional president, uh, sits at the end of that White House situation room table and asks his generals, he'll eyeball a general, and say, can we have confidence in the intelligence? Actually, if we're going to base our mission around it, if we're going to base our lives around it, if we're going to base the whole of our activity around it, then actually can fundamentally we have context, we have confidence in this context. And that's where 1 Corinthians 15 comes in. You might like to turn to it. As far as I remember, it was page 1,155. 1 1 Corinthians 15, uh, written by uh, Paul, uh, one of the apostles, Uh, probably uh, sometime between AD 53 and AD 55. It's probably the first bit of the New Testament that was actually written down, which refers to Jesus' resurrection after the events of the resurrection actually took place. Uh, So around about 20 years or so after Jesus had been raised to life. And it reminds us fundamentally of the confidence that we can have and of the implications or the consequences of that confidence. Uh, I make absolutely no apology for reminding us this evening of the confidence that we can have, and of the the fact that the resurrection happened, because Paul realises that it's good for God's people to be reminded of what's true. Just have a look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15 now, brothers and sisters. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain." confidence. This is where we all get involved. It's a chance for us to turn very quickly to the people around us. Uh, We're going to have a look at the uh, verses uh, from verse 3 to verse uh, 8 or so. They're on the screen, but you might want to have a look at them uh, in front of you. And I'd just love you to chat to anybody around you and just say, actually, how is it that we as Christians can have confidence that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened? From those verses here how can we have confidence that Jesus' resurrection took place? Okay, so with anybody around you, just grab somebody, chat to them, uh, and how can we have confidence? Off you go. Good stuff. Well, sorry to interrupt your conversations. Uh, Confidence is where we left things just now. Uh, This is a great go-to passage uh, if somebody asks you, okay, so why are you confident that Jesus uh, rose from the dead? I'm not sure what you thought. Uh, But if we go through roughly uh, in order, uh, certainly Jesus' resurrection, uh, his death and his resurrection to life, Uh, was foretold in the Old Testament. Uh, Plenty of uh, prophecy beforehand that that was going to happen. Uh, When Jesus rose, he appeared to the disciples, to the the people who knew him the best. They'd basically been on a a three-year-long kind of expedition with him, seeing kind of bare grills in that clip at the start. I think if you'd spent 24-7 with somebody over the elongated course of three years, you'd know them pretty well whether or not you wanted to. Uh, Jesus' disciples, when he appeared to them, knew him well. There's no chance of him being an imposter or a fable's twin brother that we've heard nothing about in the rest of Scripture. After that, he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time, most of whom, Paul helpfully notes for us, were alive when he wrote the letter. So if you were sceptical about the evidence, you could go and chat to the people themselves and you could get the eyewitness evidence firsthand. Lots of those people would have gone on to have died for the belief in Jesus that they espoused and so there's really no chance of either a hallucination you've got too many people there for something that originates in our heads and it's very unlikely that they would be lying if it led to their actual death and then lastly he appears to Paul there's compelling material evidence in the in the form of witnesses but there's equally compelling evidence in terms of first-hand testimony when we're sharing jesus with people sometimes i think we think we've got to come out with the best kind of historical evidence we possibly can do that's part of the deal but actually part of the deal is saying i know the risen jesus for myself christ has died christ is risen christ will come again challenging good news in a world of easy bad news Uh, It strikes me, I read about uh, a news story uh, in yesterday's Guardian uh, where a news story about events in uh, Germany uh, over the course of New Year celebrations had been catastrophically uh, and very erroneously blown out of all proportion, completely lied about, misinterpreted, and the news story presented on worldwide news media sites as truth. We're still wrestling at this point with post truth can we trust what we read? It seems as if our media may increasingly be filled with easy listening, bad news. Headlines that it's easy for mission control rooms around the world for their own particular purposes to disseminate to a worldwide media industry which has to fill 24-7 schedules. But headlines which are bad because we're not sure whether or not they're reliable and true. And ultimately, in a post truth society, we realise more than ever that we need truth. You can't arrange a mortgage, you can't negotiate a Brexit, you can't plan what your family are going to be doing on a Friday evening and who needs to be in what place at what time if your negotiations are based on post-truth, if you're telling people what you think they want to hear, even if it's false. And so the church, as we turn the corner into 2017, offers real hope. It's a challenging truth, but it's truth nevertheless. And it's truth in the person of Jesus. Christ died. Christ is risen Christ will come again. It might be a real challenge to how we understand ourselves and our context, but in an increasing era of skeptical post truth, it's the best good news we can offer because it is absolute truth. So, in our mission control room, we've looked at context, we've looked at confidence. Finally, we're going to have a look at a few consequences. What's the impact of all of that? On what comes next. It's very nice to sit here. We've sat here for the last quarter of an hour or so and we've looked at these things. But what's the impact on your morning tomorrow? What's the impact on what goes on in the office or what goes on in the classroom or uh, what goes on in the home or wherever you, wherever you happen to be tomorrow? And we're going to look back down at uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and just a few quick consequences as we come into land. Uh, Firstly, um, you might notice that God is the one who empowers us. All authority, Jesus says, has been given to him, and so all authority comes from him. He's the one who empowers us. Clearly, I need to get involved. That's what he's called us to. It is a great commission, after all but actually it's not about my power or authority to magic up a conversation about Jesus from the middle of nowhere. And it's certainly not about my power or authority to have the best arguments right at my fingertips as if it's some technical exercise. My role is to pray, to keep my eyes open for how God opens the doors to those possibilities to talk to people about Jesus. And then as I sense that happening, to go with God as he empowers and leads. If you just have a look at verses 9 to 11 of 1 Corinthians 15, here's what we read. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. The power and the authority are God's. God empowers me. Secondly, God envisions me. I need to get involved. I need to pray. I need to keep my eyes open to where God's leading. But God doesn't just supply the power, He also supplies the vision that I'm going to lay out before people. And it's a vision of Jesus. God envisions me. Uh, The good news fundamentally isn't about what I can offer my friends or my family in myself. The good news isn't about me somehow presenting myself or presenting my grand design for either me or other people as if it's the answer to a good life. In the office or in the home or wherever I find myself, this is quite important... In the office or the home or wherever I find myself, I am only good news in the extent to which I offer people a vision of Jesus. Let me just say that again. In the home or in the office, I'm only good news in the extent to which I offer people a vision of Jesus. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, if I'm offering people a vision of myself or if I'm offering people my own grand design, my own solution for their situation, it's going to end in death and failure. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. God's grand design is that in Jesus, all those who follow him will live forever. God provides the power. God provides the vision. And then finally, God goes before me. Uh, In Matthew that we started off the talk looking at, uh, we remembered how Jesus called followers. Uh, As he did that, he would have gone ahead of his disciples, leading them, teaching them as they followed behind him. Ultimately, he led them to the cross. He led his disciples through the cross and through death to his resurrection beyond, and he offers to keep leading his people. Jesus is a leader who goes before us. And so into the home that I'll go back to at the end of the service, uh, into the meeting that you'll go into tomorrow morning... Uh, into the Facebook group that you're part of, that you might be chatting about after the service or chatting with after the service, Uh, into the book group or the club or the community group that you're part of in our community here, Uh, into uh, the difficult discussion you're going to have with somebody, Uh, into the doctor's surgery, perhaps, Uh, into the operating theatre, perhaps, uh, into what perhaps seemed like the jaws of death. Jesus says, I go before you. I lead the way. Verse 23. Jesus is the first fruits. His, his resurrection to life is kind of the first fruit that appears on the tree. And you know there's going to be an absolute abundance of resurrection fruit to follow. But Jesus is the first fruit. Jesus leads the way. The resurrection of all of those who follow him is certain. In the meantime, he'll go before us into every situation he calls us into. So as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper and then to go out from mission control for this week, we have a clear idea of our mission context. Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus will return to reign and rule. All authority is his We have a clear idea of the confidence that we can have. His return is as sure as his resurrection that happened before our very eyes. All authority is Jesus's. And we have a clear set of reassuring consequences as we go out on mission. God empowers us. God envisions us, and God will lead us. Let's pray uh, as our service continues. Our Father God, we uh, praise you that in Jesus who came amongst us, God with us, We have real hope. We thank you that in an era of post truth, uh, where the news uh, sometimes might be a bit good, sometimes might be a bit bad, but in a sense we don't know because we're not totally sure what's true and what's not. We thank you that in that context we have good news. We thank you that. Uh, By your Spirit opening our eyes to Jesus, you allow us to know the good news, not just in our heads with compelling evidence, but in our hearts by personal experience as Jesus comes to set up home. And we thank you for the consequences of living with Christ as our ruler and king. We thank you that you're the one that supplies the power you're the one that supplies the vision, the opportunity, and you're the one who leads us all the way home to your heavenly kingdom. And So we pray now, looking forward to that future kingdom, but also asking that you would build it now in us and through us, because we pray it for your glory. Amen.